0: I'm Tom Donnelly, Senior Fellow in Constitutional Studies at the National Constitution Center, and welcome to We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate. Jeffrey Rosen is away this week. The National Constitution Center is the only institution in America chartered by Congress to disseminate information about the U.S. Constitution on a nonpartisan basis. This week, we continue our series on the candidates in the Constitution, in which the statements and proposals of Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are compared to the text and history of the Constitution. Before we turn to the topic, a brief announcement. We need your help. Jeff and the podcast team want your opinions about the show, everything from topics and guests to potential new projects. It will help us plan for the rest of the fall and the new year. Go to bit.ly slash we the people podcast all lowercase to share your feedback. Again, that's bit.ly backslash we the people podcast all lowercase. We turn now to the Second Amendment, which states, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump have taken positions on several proposals related to gun rights and regulation, including a no-buy list for terrorism suspects, background checks for buyers, and assault weapon bans. There is also a great deal of interest in how the fundamental right to gun ownership will be protected or threatened with the appointment of new justices to the Supreme Court, Joining me to discuss the Second Amendment and the 2016 presidential election are two leading scholars and advocates in the area of the Second Amendment and gun rights. Alan Gura is a private attorney specializing in appellate litigation. Alan argued two key Second Amendment cases, District of Columbia versus Heller and McDonald versus Chicago, at the Supreme Court. And Joseph Bloker is professor of law at the Duke University School of Law, where he specializes in constitutional law. Joseph, Alan, thanks so much for being here. Thanks
1: for having us,
2: Tom.
0: Thanks for having us. Terrific. So we'll get started. We'll get to the candidates and the Second Amendment in a moment, but let's start with the amendment's text and history itself. I read it at the outset. Joseph, uh, if, if you want to just talk a little bit about the amendment's text and the framer's vision for it, what, e- what evils was it meant to get at? What was its atten- intended scope?
1: Well, it's hard to talk about that without talking about Heller and McDonald, um, and Heller in particular, but I think one thing that was surely driving um, the ratification of the Second Amendment was the uh, enormous um, fear and concern that people had in the late 1700s about the establishment of a federal standing army, um, which, you know, today, I think for most of us, is a concern that has sort of receded into the background, but uh, at the time was just simply extraordinary. So... You know, it's hard to say much more than that without getting into, you know, contested historical territory, but one reading is that um, the amendment was written um, in order to prevent the federal government from disarming the state militias. The state militias would serve as a check against the, uh, against the federal standing army. Another reading is that the amendment um, was written to protect uh, the so-called general militia, that is, basically all able bodied um, people uh, of a certain age at that time and of a certain gender. Um, from being disarmed again to sort of prohibit um, federal tyranny. Another reading, and this is central to the um, resolution in Heller, is that it had more to do with um, protection of, uh, which you might think of as private purposes, things not limited to service in an organized uh, or or active militia. The text itself, uh, you know, for some people it's crystal clear; for some people it's not at all. Um, it's one of the maybe two provisions in the Constitution that have what you might think of as an introductory or preparatory clause. Um, There's disputes about how many commas there are in the Second Amendment. Um, So it's not at all clear, I think, on the text, for most people's reading, um, what what exactly it protects.
0: Excellent. Thanks so much, Joseph, for teeing that up. Uh, Let's turn to Alan. You know, what do you think? Talk a little bit about the Second Amendment's text and history. And then, obviously, you played a, a central role in Heller and McDonald's. So if you could just Again, just sort of set the table for our listeners, you know, what were, what were Heller and McDonald about and what did they say?
2: Sure. Well, the beginning of the Second Amendment, the phrase about uh, the militia, gives us the reason as to why the right was codified. It gives us what, the, what was on the founders' minds when they ratified the right to keep and bear arms uh, as, as something that's uh, protected at the federal level in our Constitution. The right to keep and bear arms was something that the colonists had understood. It was established in English law. It was enforced by English courts. It was something that existed separate and apart from the militia system. Now, the militia system, which was basically the way in which people were organized at times to uh, maintain public order uh, you know, and, uh, and keep a check on the government, depended on the private ownership of firearms. It was not some official government organization. Rather, people... Uh, were expected to have arms in common use, as they did for for normal private purposes, and then when called to do so, they would act as militia uh, to restore public order to check the government's authority to perhaps repel invasions and so on. The militia system was thought to be very important, and it was feared that some uh, future tyranny might prevent people from acting as militia by taking away their guns, and so the right to keep and bear arms, a pre-existing right, a right that everybody understood existed, uh, for private purposes, was secured. Now, whether or not um, the militia system was was to survive or whether or not it was truly necessary to the security of a free state is irrelevant. The most important uh, word in the Second Amendment is the article the. It tells us that we have a pre-existing right that the Constitution then uh, secures for us against government interference. The phrase, the right of the people is also the same phrase that appears in the First Amendment, it appears in the Fourth Amendment. People are understood to have rights in the Ninth Amendment. And so in Heller, uh, what the Supreme Court decided was, in fact, uh, that people have a meaningful individual right to keep and bear arms. Now, it did not decide uh, every single possible dispute that might arise under uh, that text. That's not how our law generally works. We don't have one case that settles for all time what the First Amendment means in all circumstances or what the Fourth Amendment means under all situations. And so it's perfectly natural that we would see future cases uh, continue to arise where the court would have a chance to uh, flesh out the meaning of this right and define its contours and tell us how it, it should be applied under various circumstances.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks so much for those superb introductions to the Second Amendment, to Heller, to McDonald. Now let's turn to what the candidates themselves have said about the Second Amendment and gun rights, beginning with their broad visions and then drilling down into the constitutionality of some specific policy proposals, but first, a bit on their broad visions. Uh, Let's begin with Secretary Clinton. Uh, during, During the campaign, Secretary Clinton's been pressed several times for her views on the scope of gun rights. For instance, in an interview with George Stephanopoulos, Stephanopoulos asked, Do you believe that an individual's right to bear arms is a constitutional right? Secretary Clinton replied, quote, If it is a constitutional right, then it, like every other constitutional right, is subject to reasonable regulation. And what people have done with the Heller decision is to take it as far as they possibly can and reject what has been our history from the very beginning of the Republic, where some of the earliest laws that were passed were about firearms. Or here's another quick example. It's from a campaign rally in Nevada. Someone asked Secretary Clinton, how can you assure the people that you are not going to take away the Second Amendment? Secretary Clinton replied. I believe, with all my heart, we can have common sense gun reform measures that are consistent with the Second Amendment. Alan, I'll begin with you. Again, we'll dig into the constitutionality of specific proposals in a bit. But what do you make about what do you make of Secretary Clinton's uh, general statements that I that I just read about her her take on the Second Amendment?
2: Well, well, Secretary Clinton's statements are meaningless. Of course, every right is subject to some form of regulation. But what does common sense mean? What does reasonable mean? Let's take another right. How about the right to an abortion? What might seem to be common sense or reasonable to some people is seen as a terrible encroachment uh, to others. And that's always the case. And obviously, uh, the court's job is to figure out uh, where we draw lines in certain respects. But... um, What you have here is uh, sort of a a plea to whatever might strike me or my supporters as reasonable, that's going to be the law. I think we have a particular challenge in the Second Amendment area that we don't have, perhaps in other areas dealing with individual rights, which is we have large portions of this country where nobody has a gun, nobody would admit to having a gun, nobody finds any value, uh, any real value in gun ownership. And so If you come from that sort of background, if that's your worldview, then every single restriction looks reasonable and everything makes common sense in terms of what the government wants to do. But we have to remember that this is actually a fundamental right. And so the burden is always going to be on the government to prove not just that a particular law uh, might be plausible, might make some sort of sense in some way, shape or form, but rather that there's a compelling need for it and that it And that the rights upon which it touches are really going to be respected. There is no uh, perhaps other alternative. Now, a lot of regulations are going to pass muster. The Second Amendment does not bar the government from regulating guns. But I think that we need courts enforcing a more meaningful uh, value to this right rather than, you know, whatever someone might think is reasonable or common sense, you know, that would fly.
0: Well, thanks so much for that, Alan. And, and Joseph, uh, what's what's your re- response to sort of how Alan would would frame the analysis here under the Second Amendment, and also just uh, your thoughts on Secretary Clinton's uh, statements above?
1: Sure. I'll start, start with the latter and work back to the former. I mean, if the second of the of the Clinton quotes that uh, you referred to, I think, is the one that captures the way she's been talking most often about gun rights and regulation, which is really using the Heavily emphasizing the word common sense and commonsensical, and you know, repeatedly said, "I respect the I respect the Second Amendment. I respect the rights of lawful gun owners to own guns, but I think there's a way for us, commonsensically, to approach this." I agree with Alan that you know the the question is, well, what does that mean? Uh, you know, what are the details? Um, what what one person sees as commonsensical is not necessarily going to jog with what others uh, think is commonsensical. And you know, on the specifics, the things that um, Secretary Clinton has proposed or expressed support for include things like expanding background checks. Um, She's expressed support for uh, reenacting an assault weapons ban, uh, which was was federal law for about a decade. Um, She's emphasized support for locally tailored solutions, um, all of which I think is sort of an extension of the the kinds of um, policy proposals um, that, uh, that we've we saw during the Obama administration, not all of them, of course, enacted in into law, but um, I think probably we expect if, if she ends up in the White House that we'd see a continuation of the way things go. Um, you know, what, what Alan says about um, the sort of different areas in the country and certain places where guns are uh, you know, regarded with maybe fear and revulsion. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to it's hard to know it's hard to respond. He's closer to some of these cases than I am. Um, it is true empirically that gun ownership is decreasing. Um, uh, as just, just empirically, that's true. Um, but it's also true, and I think we should keep in mind that an overwhelming majority of Americans agree with the result in Heller. Uh, three quarters or so before Heller, a year after, the polls are consistent on that. So I don't think that the... Alan, I may disagree, I guess, about the degree to which the right is under assault um, across the country. But generally, I do agree that the devil's in the details here.
0: Excellent. Alan, any final thoughts on on this strain before we turn to Donald Trump?
2: Well, I think right is under assault in this country, and it's under assault precisely because uh, you are seeing courts— dredge up any excuse uh to uphold just about any type of law that one might conceive of let me give you just one quick example just to show you how dire the situation is right now we are having disputes in courts these days as to whether or not the right to keep a gun also means you have the right to acquire the gun in the first place and we're seeing the gun control community going into court backed up by state and even in some cases the federal governments saying no, no, the right to keep a gun doesn't mean you actually have the right to obtain it in the first place or or to manufacture it. Um, That's kind of a a, a nonsense view of of the Second Amendment. If we think about other rights, you have, uh, say, under the First Amendment, the right to watch movies or read books. Well, Booksellers and movie theaters are traditionally protected. If you're accused of a crime, you have the right to a lawyer. The Supreme Court has understood that that means you have the right to pay for the lawyer. The government can't freeze all your money and prevent you from hiring an attorney and of course if you want to have an abortion the right to have an abortion is not the right to perform an abortion on yourself it's the right to go to a clinic where someone would provide you that service usually in exchange for money but we're seeing now this hyper literal attack on the second amendment that says no no the right to keep arms doesn't mean you have the right to actually get them in the first place and this is something the courts are taking seriously although to me it seems like a frivolous argument so if hillary clinton or her allies want to say well you know, I believe in the Second Amendment and you should have the right to have a gun. But my Justice Department and the judges that I appoint are opposed to the idea that you have the right to get the gun in the first place. That's
0: not much of a right. What do you think about that, Joseph?
1: Well, I have to say I'm not familiar with the um, case that Alan's describing. It sounds like one he's litigating. Um, it's certainly going to be true. There's going to be some outliers. But if you look at the the, um, you know, the vast majority of cases, and there have been about a thousand filed after Heller, um, it's true that most of them have been losing. Um, and to that degree, I think Alan's right to suggest that the Second Amendment has not led to a big wave of um, successful litigation, but when you really, you know, dig down a little bit and see what the cases are about, the vast majority of them are challenges that just don't have a lot of merit. Um, probably a majority of those are felons challenging the federal law, banning felons from possessing guns. That's something that Heller itself explicitly says is constitutional. Um, you know, it may be on the margins that there are some of these cases. And again, I don't know the one Alan's describing. As he describes it, that does sound pretty problematic. Um, but I think that there are some areas, at least, where courts are, I don't know, hopefully giving something to satisfy both sides. Um, for example, the uh, maybe something we can talk about later, uh, the as-applied challenges, which are cases where people who don't seem to fit well within prohibited category, like a person who's been adjudicated mentally ill a long time ago because they once suffered I don't know, depression or right, 28 years ago and were adjudicated mentally ill, maybe they should be carved out of the federal prohibition. That to me seems like courts doing the job that heller left for them, which is implementing carefully this, this new, undoubtedly fundamental constitutional right.
0: Great, great. And we'll turn to uh, you know some of the specific proposals and, and 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 the future of of Heller and 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 the case law on the Second Amendment um, in a bit. But first, let's place uh, Donald Trump's views on the table, at least broadly. And here's a statement on the Second Amendment from Donald Trump's website: uh, The Second Amendment to our Constitution is clear: the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed upon. Period. The Second Amendment guarantees a fundamental right that belongs to all law-abiding Americans. The Constitution doesn't create that right. It ensures that the government can't take it away. Our founding fathers knew, and our, second Amendment has upheld, our Supreme Court has upheld that the Second Amendment's purpose is to guarantee our right to defend ourselves and our families. This is about self-defense, plain and simple. And here's Donald Trump in the second presidential debate when asked about his approach to Supreme Court nominations. I am looking to appoint judges very much in the mold of Justice Scalia, people that will respect the Constitution of the United States. And I think that this is so important. Also, the Second Amendment, which is totally under siege by people like Hillary Clinton, they'll respect the Second Amendment and what it stands for, what it represents. So that's important to me. Joseph, what do you make of Donald Trump's uh, statements above, and you know, just sort of linking it to our, our the, the first strand of our conversation? You know, what 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 difference do you think um, you know a, a Trump court versus a Clinton court may make? Uh, you know, when it comes to the future of Heller and, and the future of the Second Amendment.
1: Well, the latter part of that is a really big and tough question, so let me start with the, the former, which is you know, what to make of, uh, of Donald Trump's public statements. I mean, I think if for Clinton the theme has been common sense, for Trump, the, the, the sort of talisman, I think he keeps invoking the Second Amendment itself. He's the Second Amendment candidate. Um, if, it, if it were a Clinton presidency, then we could expect, as he said, for the Second Amendment to be... Essentially abol- abolished, and I mean, I think it's worth noting this is a this is a relatively big change for him um, across his you know his career. Fifteen years ago, when he wrote um, the America We Deserve, it was his book uh, published in two thousand. He supported an assault weapons ban. He supported a slightly longer waiting period um, for conducting background checks, even than we have now, and positioned himself as something of a moderate. He criticized the extremists on either side, saying. Democrats wanted to confiscate all guns, which he said would be dumb, and that Republicans um, just walk the NRA line and refuse even even limited restrictions. Now that he is the Republican nominee, I think he's tacked much closer to the latter of those. Um, he said he essentially opposes any new uh, any new gun laws. We should enforce the ones we have. Um, in addition to the positions you listed, he said of the mass shootings that we've had that those are mental illness issues; they're not gun issues, um, and he has been uh, very strongly supported by the NRA. NRA already, even with a few weeks left, has spent more money on this campaign than on any other uh, in its uh, in its history. You know, as far as what um, a court might look like with um, justices nominated by Trump as opposed to justices nominated by Clinton, um, you know, that may be um, a longer question. I don't want to just keep going on about this, but um, I've... I'm not sure exactly what that would look like. We'd have to look at it in the, in the context of a particular particular challenge. But I don't think that either of them, frankly, is going to appoint uh, justice or even two justices who would lead to an outright overturning of Heller. Um, but I'm happy to talk about that maybe in a little more detail later on.
0: Sounds great. Uh, Alan, any thoughts on, on uh, the statements I read from Donald Trump um, and, and sort of uh, Joseph's response to them?
2: Well, I agree with Professor Blocher. Uh, Joseph is absolutely right. Donald Trump has historically been, uh, at best, what you would call moderate, probably um, uh, sort of the, <laughs> rather not that supportive of gun rights. And having decided to run for the Republican nomination, and obviously somebody got a hold of him and put these words in his mouth, I personally don't believe anything he says. I think the some of the sentiments he expresses about the Second Amendment are nice and correct. I wouldn't place, you know, too much— <laughs> Value in them, in expecting him to actually um, uh, govern that way, or appoint uh, justices who would who would agree with that, and and just so the listeners are are you know make no mistake, I am uh, on record uh, as a, quite opposed to Donald Trump for just the many long reasons. for such opposition that exists out there. So yeah, he has some nice things to say about the Second Amendment. That's cute, but I I don't really take it seriously. In the end, I actually believe that he would appoint probably the very same justices that Hillary Clinton would appoint because he's a man who has shown um, that he doesn't really care or or understand much about the court. Uh, It's not something that's important to him. And I could see where in the extremely unlikely event that he would be elected that uh, the court is probably the one area in which you would find it very easy to deal with um the democrats in the senate and and uh, given on that so maybe he gets a you know maybe a large infrastructure project named after him or, or something like that i do disagree with with joseph uh, about um what a potential Hillary court uh, might do to the second amendment i think that uh, uh last time the supreme court uh, took a look at the second amendment in the mcdonald case we had uh three of the justices who are still there uh today um, right in dissent that they want to revisit Heller. They don't think it was correctly decided. They have not reconciled themselves to this. They think it's a mistake and they simply will not tolerate it. And we don't know exactly what Justice Kagan uh, believes. She joined the court after that, but assuming that she would uh, stay in lockstep with the other, uh, call it the liberal uh, wing of the court, which always seemed to vote in lockstep, uh, you add another one of those, uh, and it's uh, it's uh, lights out for the Second Amendment. I think that they would repeal Heller. And if they don't repeal Heller, then I think they, that uh, the lower courts have certainly given the Supreme Court a roadmap, a very clear roadmap as to how to erode the right into uh, meaningless uh, nothingness. Uh, they, there's really no law that can be enacted that will not be upheld in the majority of the federal courts. I mean, we're we're struggling with just about any regulations, and of course, yes, it's always true that there there are going to be thousands of challenges that are uh, not very meritorious. That's also true, say in the Fourth Amendment. Just about every criminal case involves perhaps a motion to suppress evidence, where somebody comes and says, you know, the the, the warrant should not have been granted. The police didn't search my client in, uh, in accordance with the uh, you know the the right to to uh, uh, to be secure in our in our in our uh, in our personal space, and most of those you know, are not successful in the second amendment too. Any, anytime somebody's convicted of a, of a gun crime, they might assert a second amendment defense and those are not really taken seriously. But in the class of cases, the much smaller class of cases where you have, uh, serious litigation, serious issues, um, uh, nonetheless, the courts are, are extraordinarily hostile, uh, uh to those claims. And I think that, uh, Hillary, uh, would, would, uh, um, would be a, a significant threat to the continuing viability of the Second Amendment, as of course would Donald Trump.
0: Joseph, what do you think of that? Do you think a, a Clinton court, you know, just very concretely, would, would overrule Heller? And, and regardless, what are some of the ways in which, um, you know, one, two, three Clinton appointments to the court might shift the ground in Second Amendment jurisprudence?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'm not, uh, I should be clear, I'm not 100% confident about this one way or the other. I mean, court's, court's overturned cases in um, the past that i Predicted would. Um, so my record on this is not necessarily the strongest, but I think it's striking how little we're hearing from, um, from the Democrats, whether it's the Obama administration or the, the Clinton campaign, calling for that. I mean, when, um, when Merrick Garland was nominated um, for Justice Scalia's uh,
0: seat on the court, one of the attacks on him was that he wasn't good on guns, that he'd overturn Heller. It was
1: based on two votes that he cast in gun related, albeit not Second Amendment, cases on the DC Circuit. And the Democrats' response was not, right, exactly, he's going to overturn Heller, that's great. It was to defend him and you know, and say, no, 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 he's not bad on guns. Um, you don't read anything into those votes. Contrast that with the way that both parties you know, openly call for overturning other cases, whether that's the Democrats, Citizens United, maybe Shelby County, Republicans, of course, have been doing this for decades with, uh, with Roe versus Wade. And I'm just not hearing that um, with regard to Heller. It doesn't seem like a political priority. Now, you know, as Alan uh, was suggesting there, you don't really know what's going to happen with a justice when they get appointed. Certainly, um, you know, administrations are wrong in their predictions about what justices, uh, what justices will do. But I think that the more relevant questions are going to be not about whether to overturn Heller outright, especially with regard to the um, that individual rights, private purposes holding, which is sort of the core of the case, the questions are really going to be about whether it effectively has been overruled by um, cases upholding gun regulation, and I think that's where I think that's where Alan was um, was pointing our attention, and I think that those really really will be the questions. I have no doubt that a newly constituted court would approve gun regulations as constitutional that a Justice Scalia-led court would not. So, in that respect, um, there certainly would be. Uh, a difference. Now, whether that means overturning Heller is less clear. I mean, if you look back to you know, other examples of this in, in the court's history, when in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, the court reaffirms Roe versus Wade, you know, grant a fundamental right, we're upholding that, but we're replacing the framework, the trimester framework that the court used in Roe with this new undue burdens test. You know, if the court did something like that, would that mean overturning Heller? It's almost a metaphysical question, but I think
2: Alan's right that that's really where the debate will be. Well, in in very recent days, Justice Breyer and Justice Ginsburg have made comments about how they don't believe that Heller was correctly decided. They wrote that in McDonald's as recently as 2010. They were joined by Justice Sotomayor, who, when she was nominated, had said, oh, of course, I respect Heller. It's the law of the land. She gets there two years later in McDonald's. She votes to overturn it. I don't see why any of those three justices would change their mind or have changed their mind and You add a couple of more uh, left wing uh, liberal justices, it's over. Uh, as far as Judge Garland is concerned, he voted to rehear the Heller case when it was called the Parker case in the DC Circuit. He, he didn't agree with the DC Circuit's decision, most likely, uh, that the case, that, that there is a Second Amendment right to, to keep a gun in your house. And, uh, you know, Court of Appeals judges don't usually vote because the panel got the decision correctly. And beyond that, Judge Garland. Uh, has a record as being perhaps one of the more statist judges out there, there's almost no case in which he sides against the government on anything. So I don't think that this looks like a recipe for uh, security and heller's resistance and certainly given the short shrift that, that uh, the, you know, more progressive judges have given the amendment. I don't have a particular expectation that this will be a very very meaningful right in uh, in just a few years. Now, of course, they don't come out and campaign on that because Heller is popular. the The country agrees that the case was decided correctly as as Joseph mentioned earlier, the polling is 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 quite obvious on that. but um, that's all well and good. People vote for presidential candidates based on a on a host of issues. There are a range of of uh, of things that motivate people to vote and while there are a few single-issue voters who care about gun rights one way or the other, the fact of the matter is, especially in this election, given um, what we're seeing from, from Donald Trump, there are many reasons not to support him, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, I doubt that uh, uh, even if people really believed that Heller was going to be overturned, that that would be enough to to alter the direction of the election.
0: So thank you so much about those responses on the uh, future of Heller, on a Trump versus Clinton court. We'll return to some of those themes perhaps in a bit, but let's let's go to a few of the specific policy proposals that have flown around in this election. Uh, let's let's turn first to uh, to the uh, the proposal for uh, guns and the no fly list. So in the first presidential debate, debate uh, Secretary Clinton called for banning anyone on the no fly list from buying or possessing a gun. And previously, after the uh, Pulse nightclub shooting, Clinton said, "quote." You are too dangerous to get on a plane. You are too dangerous to buy a gun in America. And Donald Trump, during the first debate, agreed with Clinton's proposal to outlaw gun possession by individuals on the no fly or terrorist watch list. But Trump added during the debate, quote, when people are on there, we'll help them. We'll help them legally. We'll help get them off. Um, Alan, can you talk a little bit about the no fly list proposal and your thoughts on whether it raises any uh, constitutional concerns?
2: The no fly list is unconstitutional as it's currently established people have a right to travel in our country getting on an airplane is not a privilege it's not a luxury it's a basic necessity for life in 21st century America and in in our world the fact that the government can prevent you from traveling because they suspect that you're a bad person without any sort of due process without any kind of notice without any meaningful opportunity to to challenge that determination and to secure rights uh, should be absolutely shocking to every American and to expand that into other rights, be they gun rights or anything else, uh, it should be unacceptable. And I'm not surprised that both candidates, given uh, their miserable records on individual liberty and concern for due process, would would support that view. Uh, if someone is too dangerous to have uh, to have a gun, then perhaps they're too dangerous to be out in public. If you think someone's a terrorist, then by all means follow them closely and arrest them if need be. But the idea that Uh, people should not be able to function in our society, not enjoy basic fundamental rights because they are suspected of something, uh, is absurd. Uh, So, no, it doesn't meet any sort of basic uh, constitutional standard, and and both candidates should be embarrassed by their position.
0: Joseph, do you agree with Alan's take there? Do you think the proposal raises uh, any serious constitutional issues?
1: Yeah, actually, I I do agree with Alan on this. I mean, the the public support for this is extraordinarily high. It's something like 72% Seventy-two percent of Trump supporters, eighty percent of Clinton supporters. So I understand why they're saying this, and the Clinton quote you read makes it sound like yeah, this is airtight. How could anybody disagree? But as Alan points out, I mean, the constitutional problems here, I think, start even before you get to the Second Amendment. It's easy to get put on one of these lists. You don't necessarily know why you got put there. It can be hard to get off of the list, and that's you know, that's a due process problem front and center. Um, at the very least, people need chance to put on evidence before some kind of neutral decision maker or some kind of meaningful hearing, and it doesn't seem like that's the case now. So, you know, this is an interesting one where the sort of civil liberties groups, which are not necessarily always active on gun rights, I think have been, um, uh, have been front and center in opposing it. And I agree with Alan, there are some serious constitutional problems here. If the class were much narrower, if it actually were what some people sometimes maybe have in mind, that convicted terrorists or whatever, were Forbidden from getting guns. I don't think there's any constitutional problem, second in or otherwise, but we're
0: not there now um, at all. And Alan, do you think there are any particular uh, measures that could be added sort of before pl- people are placed on the list that could save the proposal's constitutionality?
2: Well, if people have a chance prior to being placed on the list, if they receive notice, you know, you are hereby informed that the government thinks you're a terrorist, you know, come to court and tell us why. You should not lose basic rights. Then we can look at the contours of that proposal, at least. But again, uh, whether it's flying uh, or having a gun or driving a car, I mean, we've seen terrorists in Nice, France, for example, use a truck to, to kill a lot of people. I mean, should we take away driver's licenses from people suspected of terrorism? What about the right to buy um, uh, fertilizer? Because You know, you can't fertilize your lawn because maybe you'll make a truck bomb out of it. I mean, we can go down the list. And start stripping people of the ability to to function at a very basic level just because they're suspected of doing something bad. But uh, the fact of the matter is, look, we have ways of securing aircraft. We can search luggage. We search people who get on the airplane. Uh, if you think somebody is, uh, you know, a bad person, then by all means scrutinize their luggage. Uh, make sure that they don't bring anything on board the aircraft. It could be a problem. Uh, follow them around, maybe. But if they're that dangerous, if they're essentially a ticking time bomb, then they should be in jail. They it shouldn't have to worry about whether they're moving around the country. And likewise with guns. Look, if somebody is really at the level where they're going to commit a terrorist act with a firearm, then the no-buy list is probably a, almost a, a silly response to that because we know the criminals and terrorists obtain guns on the black market. France has gun control. Obviously, that didn't stop the attacks and. Uh, in Paris uh, a few months ago, and so um, no. If you think someone is that dangerous, then that person should not be out in public. Never mind what they can buy in a store or where they can get on an airplane.
0: Joseph, any any final thoughts on the no fly no no buy list? Any particular measures uh, that could be added to it, 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 you know make the proposal pass uh, constitutional muster? No, as Alan says, the due process problem is
1: the one that has to be fixed. I think before we start worrying about the potential
0: Second Amendment problems. Excellent. So let's turn next to another hot topic of debate, uh, concealed and and open carry. Um, In his Second Amendment position paper, Donald Trump uh, calls for a national right to carry, saying it should be legal in all 50 states. Um, At the same time, Secretary Clinton during the campaign has been critical of open carry laws. Um, Joseph, what what does the Constitution have to say um, about this particular issue, even if the candidates have different uh, policy preferences?
1: Uh, I can tell you what courts say the Constitution says, um, which is that most courts post Heller have either held or assumed that the Second Amendment extends outside the home. And I believe now that Illinois' law has been struck down that every state permits some kind of public carrying, whether open or concealed. Historically, in American history that is, um, concealed carrying has been broadly forbidden. And so uh, Heller, portions of Heller at least suggest that concealed carrying falls entirely outside the scope of the Second Amendment. Not, doesn't count as keeping and bearing arms, but when you combine that, you know, a ban, let's say i carrying, with a ban or near ban on open carrying, then I think you get the squarely presented question of whether public carrying in general, which is what like you asked about, is covered by the amendment. And in practice, the way this comes up, and Alan knows this, he's been very involved in these cases, is that um, governments in some places impose what are um, sometimes referred to as good cause restrictions, saying you need to get um, a permit. To show a good cause before you can carry your weapon in public. And the practical question really is: you know, what counts as good cause? How much can the government that you show? I mean, it's just obvious to me that there are some causes that aren't good. Um, you know, if you say, look, I need a gun to you know, carry a gun in public so I can terrorize the public or that I can go rob a bank or something like that, and nobody thinks that falls under the scope of the Second Amendment. And then there are other causes reasons for carrying in public, which I think are plainly covered by Heller and McDonald, the person's facing some kind of immediate threat. You know, they, they very clearly have a second amendment right, and probably also a common law um, self-defense right to carry a gun. So, you know, the, the question really is how far the government can go, and I think Heller suggests, and history suggests that it can regulate more in the public than in the home. Heller says you know, the right to self-defense is most acute in the home, it suggests that it is less acute even exists um, outside the home, um, and it's consistent in many respects with how we treat other rights. We do regulate um, rights differently outside the home than inside, whether that's privacy for First or Fourth, fourth Amendment purposes, um, speech, uh, and so on and so forth. So, you know, the, the question's going to be in the details, um, you know, what is it that a particular sheriff, let's say, is demanding that people show, um, but for the most part, at a conceptual level, Agreed that, um, or assumed at least, that the I mean, Second uh, uh, encompasses the
0: rights to carry forward. Thanks so much for that, Joseph. Alan, what, what, what's your response to Joseph's answer? And you know, what do you think the Constitution requires in this particular area? Well, in the Heller
2: case, the District of Columbia, in defending their handgun ban, had a theory that the term "bear arms" meant to soldier or to go into battle. And so the, um, the Supreme Court had to define what bear arms means. And they came up with a definition that actually Justice Ginsburg had supplied for the Second Amendment in an earlier case back in the late 90s, where she was talking about what it means to carry a gun or to bear arms as used in the Second Amendment. And there they determined that then as now to bear meant to carry, and then includes carrying a gun on your uh, clothing or in your pocket, which of course would be concealed for purposes of being ready in case of a conflict with another person. Uh, and the Supreme Court then went on to describe uh, some exceptions to that right. For example, uh, the government can re- can prevent you from carrying a gun in so-called sensitive places. Uh, that makes intuitive sense. We don't know exactly which places are, will or will not be sensitive. We know they, they must exist, but that means that you can carry a gun in a non-sensitive place. And as Joseph recalled the, the Heller Court also went through the history of the right to arms and how it's been interpreted over the years and came up with, with uh, you know, the, the general historical rule, which is that the government can regulate the manner in which you carry guns. And so you can ban concealed carry. You can also ban open carry. You just can't ban both. Uh, and this is something that people sometimes don't understand. At least when I litigate these cases, I never go to court and say, oh, we must be able to conceal carry. no. What we say is, look, we have the right to carry a gun for self-defense. That's what the Second Amendment says. If the government wants to say you can only carry in a concealed manner, that's fine. If the government wants to say you need to get a license to carry the gun concealed, that's fine, too. The problem happens when the only way to exercise a constitutional right uh, is to obtain some license that the sheriff or the police or some other government authority uh, determines uh, whether you get it based on whether they think you deserve to get it. Are you a good enough person? Do you have a good reason to exercise your rights today? Of course we don't do that with other constitutional rights. We don't tell people that they can speak or vote only if they have a good reason to speak or vote. Oh, you can get an abortion if you have a good reason to do that. Or um, you can insist on the police showing a warrant to enter your house if you have a good reason to want to be secure in your, no. That's not the way the Constitution works. We can regulate the exercise of rights in interest of public safety, and obviously, outside the home, there's going to be a greater amount of regulation that will fly than what is allowed inside the home. But it cannot be that a fundamental constitutional right, a right, is something that you only get to do if the police think you deserve to do it, because then it's not a right at all. It's, a, it's merely a, uh, an administrative privilege.
0: Thanks for that, Alan. Joseph, any final thoughts on uh, public carry?
1: Yeah, just to clarify, that.
0: I mean, I think Alan and
1: I are in large agreement on the on the broad brushes here, but I just want to emphasize that it's not, I don't I don't take these laws to be saying that you have to get a license to exercise the right at all. It's, so it's not exactly equivalent to saying you need to get you know, the government's approval to speak at all or whatever. This is really about, again, to emphasize where you started this time on public carrying. So there's not you know, we're not talking about license requirements for keeping a gun in the home, which Heller you know, says is the, the core and central component of the right lies. It really is just with the public exercise of the right, and there, you know, you do find analogies. I think with regard to other rights, whether it's you've know, you got to get a license to have a parade or whatever—that's free speech and position. Sometimes we permit it. Um, we have to get licenses for marriage and voting, and uh, there's other kinds of ways in which this may work out. I mean, I think analogies sometimes illuminating, sometimes misleading in this area generally i think alan and i are in agreement on the on the broad brush but i just want to be clear we're just talking about like one sort of part of the right to keep and bear arms
2: well no i mean it is a separate right if you only have the right to keep the gun but not to bear it then we've deleted two words from the constitution which secure a right obviously uh you know the words are there for a reason and they tell you that you can keep, and bear, and if the government says you may not bear guns ever, anywhere, at any time, any place, any way, shape, or form, unless you get some kind of a license, and by the way, you can't get the license because we don't like you, then that's a problem.
1: If that were the case and there were total bans on public carry, then I agree that would be, uh, but I think that's well, a different the- case than what we're, than what you're, yeah. even what you're litigating now, right? Those are not outright bans, unless I'm, I could yeah. be wrong yeah. about that, but I think-
2: no, It it is an outright ban if you are told that you cannot exercise this right. uh, You are outright banned from exercising it. It applies to you completely everywhere and in in, in all circumstances. That is a complete ban. Well, you can't vote unless you have a good reason to vote. Well, that's a complete ban for you, even if they let your neighbor vote. And that's a problem. It's an absolute problem. I mean, you know, if you violate one person's constitutional rights, that person can go to court and hopefully get relief.
0: Thank you so much for those two takes on on that issue. I think that it fleshes out, has fleshed it out very nicely for our our listeners. Um, I think we have time, maybe for one more quickly, one more policy area, and then we'll move to closing arguments. Um, but let's turn uh, finally to the debate over uh, military-style weapons. Um, first, beginning with uh, Donald Trump's statement from his Second Amendment position paper. It says, "Quote: "...opponents of gun rights try to come up with scary-sounding phrases like assault weapons, military-style weapons, and high-capacity magazines to confuse people. What they're really talking about are popular semi-automatic rifles and standard magazines that are owned by tens of millions of people. Law-abiding people should be allowed to own the firearm of their choice." Uh, Secretary Clinton, after the Pulse nightclub shooting, said, quote, Now, I know some people will say that assault weapons and background checks are totally separate issues having nothing to do with terrorism. Well, in Orlando and San Bernardino, terrorists used assault weapons, the AR-15, and they used it to kill Americans. Um, Alan, does the Constitution place any limits on the government's ability to regulate certain types of weapons?
2: Absolutely. I mean, the, the Constitution tells us that you have the right to keep and bear arms. So what's an arm? Well, some objects, some things that are arms are going to be protected. Now, not all arms are going to be protected. There are going to be some limiting principles. But we had this issue in the Heller case where a handgun ban was at issue. So the first question the court had to resolve was whether you had an individual right to arms. They said, yes, you do. And then the next question that arose that, okay, if you have the right to keep and bear arms, are handguns the types of arms whose possession is protected by the Second Amendment? And the court gave us a test for determining that, and it's come to be known as the common use test. That is, if this is an arm of the kind that would be in common use for traditional lawful purposes, then its possession is going to be constitutionally protected, even if the weapon is uh, also suitable for unlawful purposes. And with handguns in particular, there's no dispute that you're talking about the most... uh, abused arms that are out there. Uh, the choice of, uh, of arms for criminals is the handgun. They're portable, they're concealable. Uh, most uh, firearm violence is committed with handguns. Handguns are involved in a lot of accidents. You know, if you're going to look to ban a particular type of gun uh, out of concerns for public safety, you're not going to go after large black rifles that are actually not involved in 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 uh, a large proportion of our crime, you're gonna go after the handgun, but the court said it doesn't matter Because handguns are also the weapon of choice for law-abiding responsible people. They have a lot of applications for traditional uh, Lawful uses primarily self-defense and so you can't ban them Uh, And likewise with some of these rifles. Yes, they are misused sometimes tragically but whether they are prone to misuse or susceptible to misuse is not the question. The question is, do they f- fulfill a lawful function that law-abiding American citizens find uh, a need to have them? And it's hard to look at some of these guns, which are extraordinarily popular, which are the you know, the standard uh, platform in the competitive sports and so on, and, and think that somehow they're not protected. So I think that those, those firearms, uh, their possession is protected, and banning them is not constitutional. Uh, again, uh, you know, courts uh, sometimes disagree, but it's it's hard to see how handguns are protected, but rifles are not.
0: Thank you for that. Joseph, before turning to closing arguments, do you agree with Alan? And uh, what do you think the Constitution has to say about this uh, hotly contested issue? Well,
1: I think it's important, I think maybe first to just understand what it is we're talking about here, and Alan sort of made reference to this. My own view is that assault weapons, however you define them, just get way too much attention in discussions of gun policy, um, which is in turn what makes them, you know, central to some discussions of the Second Amendment. I mean, the fact is, as Alan mentioned, there are millions and millions and millions of these things, however you define them, in circulation. A tiny fraction of them get misused, and that in turn accounts for only a tiny fraction of American gun deaths. You know, the the policies that are going to save the most lives are those which, consistent with Constitution can do something about um, about handgun violence, frankly, primarily in, in cities. I think it's also true that uh, gun regulators often don't know what they're talking about when they describe assault weapons and they suggest that they're machine guns, that they're automatics or whatever, which they're not. Uh, they're just rifles often defined by kind of, um, features that are essentially cosmetic. Having said all that, they are, for whatever reason, Disproportionately, the weapon of choice in mass shootings—they're um, disproportionately used, um, uh, apparently in the shooting of police officers. Um, that's that's odd and problematic. Um, the fact that they're banned based on these cosmetic features, I think, kind of cuts both ways in terms of whether um, those regulations should be constitutional or should be considered problematic. I mean, if it's just cosmetic features, then it seems like well, why is the government doing this? That's absurd. On the other hand, if the guns are subject to these kinds of very prominent misuse, that's a problem. And if the features are just cosmetic, then it seems that the imposition on gun owners shouldn't be all that big either. Um, so that the sort of interests on both sides, to me at least, sort of seem to deflate. Um, as Alan says, and as Heller holds, handguns are the quintessential self-defense weapon. Um, in fact, the briefs in Heller arguing very specifically, long guns are not a substitute, we need, we need handguns. Um, the common use test that Alan mentioned um, is, I think, um, courts are still kind of figuring out what to do with that. It's, um, in some respects, makes a lot of sense. In other respects, it's very complicated because, of course, what weapons are in common use is dependent in large part on what kinds of weapons the government has regulated in the past. And I think, you know, it should worry people on both sides if we're defining what counts as a constitutional arm based just on market share. If you're a gun rights person, that should worry you because then the government could just ban a potential new weapon and then prevent it from ever becoming common. And if you are a pro-regulation person, then maybe you should be worried because, you know, a manufacturer can just flood the market with some kind of new weapon and make it constitutionally protected. I think courts are still really, uh, really struggling with that.
0: Thank you so much for that, Joseph. And Joseph Allen, thank you so much for everything that you've you've said about these specific policy proposals. I could talk to you all afternoon uh, about these issues, but it's time now for closing arguments. Uh, here's the frame and it's returning to something we discussed earlier in the earlier in the program while conservatives and progressives disagree sharply across a range of issues including of course gun rights seems like one of the only things that both sides agree on is that the future of the supreme court is at stake in the upcoming election the next president may nominate up to three to four new justices for the first time in a generation we could see a lopsided progressive or conservative majority on the court so to close out this week's program i'm going to ask you both a version of the same question uh, beginning with you joseph What are the stakes uh, of the 2016 election for the future of the Second Amendment, the future of Heller, and the future of the Supreme Court?
1: Well, as I said earlier, it seems um, unlikely to me that the Supreme Court would outright, even with another justice or maybe even two new justices, would outright overturn the individual right holding, which is at the core of Heller. But I do think that um, there are certainly... um, individual specific questions about the constitutionality of particular gun rights in light of that individual right, um, which could be decided differently depending on who's confirmed. Um, And maybe that includes, as we were just talking about, the constitutionality of certain bans on, for example, assault weapons, whatever you want to call them. Um, But I see very little enthusiasm politically, at least, for overturning that core holding um, and lots of focus on identifying the boundaries of Regulatory authority. I think that the likely debate will be whether Heller has been overturned, and not whether uh, it should be overturned outright.
0: Excellent. And Alan, the the last word goes to you. What do you think the stakes are uh, of the two thousand sixteen election for the future of the Second Amendment, the future of Heller, future of the Supreme Court?
2: The Second Amendment is on the ballot this this election. Unfortunately, there's neither of the major party candidates is going to is going to secure it. They're both going to appoint. Uh, justices who are at least hostile uh, to the Second Amendment, if not committed to having it overturned. We have three justices on the court right now who would overturn the Heller decision at least. We have four justices in the court now who come from the legal tradition that finds the Second Amendment completely unenforceable in just about any circumstance. Uh, and so uh, the prospect for the Second Amendment beyond this election are, are very dim. Uh, sadly, that ni- neither of the major party candidates can be relied upon to secure the Second Amendment. And so for those of us who care about uh, the future of gun rights, uh, it looks to be a very challenging environment regardless of who wins.
0: Thanks so much for that, Alan. And Alan Gura, Joseph Bloker, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. Thanks for having us, on. Today's show was engineered by Jason Gregory and produced by Nicandro Iannacci. Research was provided by Lana Ulrich. The host of We the People is Jeffrey Rosen, who will return next week. Get the latest constitutional news and continue the conversation on Facebook and Twitter using constitutionctr. We want to know what you think of the podcast. Email us at editorconstitutioncenter.org. At Please subscribe to We the People and our companion podcast live in America's Town Hall on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. We the People is a member of Slate's Panoply Network. Check out the full roster at panoply.fm. Despite our congressional charter, the National Constitution Center is a private nonprofit. We receive little government support and we rely on the generosity of people around the country who are inspired by our nonpartisan mission of constitutional debate and education. Please consider becoming a member to support our work, including this podcast. Visit constitutioncenter.org to learn more. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Tom Donnelly.